it was on that basis that I said the president really, if he's not able to say what happened, if he's not willing to take uh, the public into his confidence for an indefinite period of time, mm -hmm. then perhaps he should step aside, allow this investigation that is being talked about to take place and continue. Uh, and when that is finished, um, and hopefully if it cleared him of any wrongdoing, he would uh, be able to resume his position. Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. Here at Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that come broaden our world view. Today we have with us Mavuso Msumang. Mavuso is an ANC veteran and former member of Nkunta Wisiswe, where he served on the military high command. He has occupied a wide range of roles in environmental management, private enterprise and government enterprises. He is the former CEO of South African National Parks. Mavuso, welcome. It's such a great pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm curious and uh, eager to talk to you. Mavuso, what was the journey like to encounter with Siswe? How did you end up in the military wing of the African National Congress? Well, um, this is how it happened. Uh, at high school, uh, uh, at Inkamana High School, a Catholic school in Freiheit, KwaZulu-Natal, I got introduced into politics. Um, one of the students was uh, already a very strong member of uh, the ANC in Durban, and we started a cell, an ANC branch, so to say. Uh, this is 1958 or so. Um, so that's when I started really having um, an interest in, in, in politics in, in the sense of actually even belonging to an organization. I went very briefly to Fort Hare University. And when I got there in 1962, the <clears throat> ANC had already been banned in 1960. And um, it had, however, gone underground and was working in, uh, in those structures. We had <clears throat> a cell structure that was called um, the M-Plan. I always get confused as to what this M stand for, whether it was uh, Mandela, I think it was something else. But that plan um, was structured in such a way that uh, five people belonged together and each one of the five would uh, also go and form another cell of five. The idea being that uh, the different cells of five do not know uh, altogether about the existence each of the other, um, other than through, yes, they, they, they should not really. Uh, it didn't always work like that. <laughs> People got to know about that. So when I got to Fort Hare, I was um, um, uh, appointed to the, the high command, which coordinated all the structures. And there again was politics, getting one getting deeper and deeper into politics, we, we um, 
organized a lot of boycotts of politicians. Uh, Fort Hare was um, traditionally a black university, which goes back in history to a long time, uh, uh, 1926, perhaps even uh, earlier. But it had been made a tribal uh, university. I, I, the way I got there, I had to sneak into that. They had started other universities, uh, such as uh, it's called Wazulu uh, Natal University now, but it was called Ongoye. Well, Zulus, uh, I, I speak Zulu. Zulu Mavusa, sorry, re really sorry. Can you perhaps just lean a bit closer to the mic or speak a bit louder? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, no, the, the university and really sorry. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so uh, I went to Fort Hare and um, joined the ANC underground structures. I was appointed to the high command there. Not quite sure why, but uh, it was quite a representative uh, structure. And we really got involved very seriously uh, in ANC politics underground because the organization had been banned in 1960. We were accountable to another underground structure in Port Elizabeth that was the regional command structure. When we got involved in uh, organizing boycotts and um, doing leaflets, uh, denouncing uh, the apartheid uh, education system, uh, it became very clear that uh, sooner or later we would be arrested. Um, and so I was advised together with five other people to leave the country and finish my studies abroad. Uh, the, um, the um, yeah, uh, the, the uh, arrest was imminent. In fact, on the day that we left, the police arrived uh, at our hostel uh, looking for us, but uh, they found that we had gone. Um, so we got uh, onto a train from the Eastern Cape to, um, to Johannesburg and uh, stayed in Soweto for a while, a short while, while uh, we met by somebody at the um, park station. And we were, we remained while a trip, the trip was being arranged, when arrangements were being made to take us uh, abroad. So eventually this did happen, I think it was almost two months or so later, but I had an alibi there uh, for the police asked uh, uh, what uh, I was doing in Joburg, I was attending a conference, a NUSAS conference. NUSAS was the National Union of South African uh, Students. Uh, they, we collaborated with them as uh, an ANC uh, student organization. We left South Africa. Uh, I left South Africa through uh, illegally through the border um, in, um, uh, uh, oh, of course, it's in right? But uh, <clears throat> uh, into Botswana, and in Botswana, we caught a train uh, that took us to Francistown. And in Francistown, there was a big camp for refugees from Southern Africa. There were Zimbabweans, there were um, Namibians, uh, quite a number in that camp. Name of the camp was called uh, the White House. <laughs> so while we were there, a big event that was to change many people's lives, mine definitely, 
the leadership of the African National Congress was arrested in Livonia. That is, uh, uh, you know about that. Uh, <clears throat> Mandela had already been arrested <clears throat> because he had left the country and come back. And uh, while he was disguised as a driver that caught him and sent him to jail. But the rest of his co-leaders were arrested and in Rivonia, it was really a huge setback. And um, the decision that I made uh, while sitting in Francistown awaiting the allocation of a place, a scholarship, was uh, that um, I should find out if uh, there were not more urgent things I could do. And it was agreed that I could join Mkontevosizwa. That was the relevant university. So uh, that's how I joined uh, Umkonto Wesizwe in Francistown. We were flown to um, Dar es Salaam through Malawi for refueling. And uh, when we got to Dar es Salaam in a short course, it was arranged for me to join another group of people who had already trained in Egypt at the time. And we went to, um, to, to train in, in Moscow. They were doing a retraining for two reasons. One was uh, uh, the conditions were not ready for them to be sent back to South Africa, but also uh, uh, it had been decided that uh, the training should focus more on um, urban guerrilla warfare. And uh, the Egyptians had not given them that. It's good uh, uh, training, but uh, not in, in, in in guerrilla warfare. So when we went to Moscow, September in uh, 1963, <clears throat> we lived in a dacha, uh, you know, these houses that used to belong to Kulaks and uh, people. And there were 23 of us. And uh, we then um, were given uh, lessons in, in guerrilla warfare, which, uh, you know, making homemade explosives, you know, uh, how to shoot, how to assemble a gun, and you know, all the things, topography uh, and politics, of course, uh, and so on. Uh, we were done in, uh, in, in 11 months and we traveled to Tanzania and we were given a place, um, a temporary place to stay while it was a transit camp. Uh, while awaiting uh, assignment back to South Africa. Um, this place was called Kongwa in central Tanzania. And uh, also in the same area, other liberation movements like Frelimo, uh, Swapo of Namibia, and um, Zapu of Zimbabwe were there for a, a, a brief uh, time before they uh, proceeded to uh, start their revolutions in their own countries. So I, I was there then. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so we had thought we would not stay for longer than a year at most, and uh, following which we would be on our way back to South Africa. But it was obviously, of course, uh, a serious, serious miscalculation. I think it was a product of na naivety uh, to think that you could uh, find your way in such a short time um, through a Zambia that had become independent in 1964 
they had been very helpful on our way up because uh, they were still fighting for their own independence, but then now they were in charge. But in charge of the police uh, and the army were British uh, officers. And it was very clear that there was no way you would want to go through a place like that, although it was a, an independent country. Uh, the alliances, the loyalties to the uh, white regime uh, uh, governments in the South were very strong. So we would sneak our way through Zambia and there uh, illegally and um, and uh, yeah, so I was then so so it, but it took a long time before people could leave this place, which was supposed to be a short-term transit camp. Because Mavuso, what was the conditions like in these camps? Was it was it quite a horrible place to live in? Was it a good place to live in? Yeah, actually, excellent conditions. What I can say for the ANC is that it always uh, treated its uh, um, cadres, military cadres, trained cadres, uh, very, very well where, where, when, when conditions permitted. We had good food, uh, but we had to, I mean, the conditions were spartan in the sense that we lived in tents, like the military people, we, would, uh, we were in uniform and uh, we did it, we cooked, we, do, we did everything like soldiers do. But the, the, the food was good. There were we had meats almost every other day, perhaps. Uh, no, the, the diet was good. Um, so I was then assigned, uh, I think about six months or so after arriving in Congo, I was assigned to, oh, I should say that I had trained in communication, radio communication, high frequency in Moscow. Um, and we knew, we were taught how to operate the handheld radios, but also there was a big base station. I was sent to Zambia, Osaka, um, to set up a station there, a radio station to communicate initially with head office in uh, Tanzania. And eventually, I was to set up a station in Livingston and uh, make arrangements for the people who were proceeding south across the Zambezi and be in a position to communicate with them. So <clears throat> I think on the basis of this uh, training and communication, when uh, Jerome Odisse um, formed, who was the commander-in-chief at the time, this title changed in time. The commander-in-chief, well, the, the, the leader of the ANC, Oliver Tambo, was uh, made commander-in-chief. Um, and then um, I think uh, uh, the head of uh, MK was uh, uh, the, the commander of MK, and there would be a deputy and so on. We, so I was in... Uh, Zambia in 1965, setting up the station and we started doing our communication internally. Uh, and I would also go down to Livingston to look at, uh, to do some reconnaissance uh, uh, together with people who were in that group and look at uh, uh, where to um, cross uh, the river uh, into Botswana, 
and possibly into um, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia then. Uh, so I was then appointed um, into the high command structure of Mukondo Sizu. And uh, my responsibility was to look after communication. Shortly after with, uh, I think around 1966, late 66, um, discussions went took place between uh, the, between the ANC and ZAPU about the, uh, to discuss the possibility of um, forming uh, a joint uh, operational structure. The ANC's aim being to use Zimbabwe as a transit um, point to South Africa. Uh, and uh, since they were already engaged in, in, in armed struggle in their own right, there would be no problem really with us uh, uh, taking up a fight. Uh, it was a common enemy, you know, the Rhodesians and the South Africans were <clears throat> really all working together uh, to stop uh, any, any, any revolution taking place in the two countries. So that was formed and uh, together with the uh, Zapu people, I think I also went into the command structure, the joint uh, high command structure of Zipra, Zipra being the Zimbabwe People's Revolutionary Army and MK. And we then uh, started planning the groups uh, south. The understanding was that uh, some of the MK people would stay in Zimbabwe and uh, prepare the ground for future people coming across uh, and assist them to, uh, to travel uh, south into South Africa. But there was a, a small group of people who, um, during the infiltration in, 19, in 1967, were assigned to go straight to South Africa. And among them was, of course, uh, our famous Chris uh, Honey. Um, and the, I, I need to say that uh, it was a very difficult mission. In fact, it was mission impossible. Uh, it's a, 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 an assignment that was done in reaction to pressure for us also to start doing something about going to South Africa. We'd been as I indicated earlier, back in Tanzania, 1964, and this was now 1967, three years later, uh, Frelimo in Mozambique had started fighting in Angola. They started fighting in their own countries. Yes, uh, in Zimbabwe, the fights, the fighting had already started low key, but it was happening. Uh, and Swapo, I think, uh, of Namibia, uh, were also making a move to start their liberation struggle. Uh, uh, staying uh, in Congo for much longer than the year that people expected they would be there for, started creating very serious moral problems. Mm. A lot of, well, people started uh, becoming restless. Um, 
initially, they said, we want to go home. You said we would not be here for long. We want to go and fight. But it was clear that there was no way. Uh, the preparations had just not, adequate preparations had not been put in place. And Mavusa, uh, how did the future leaders of the ANC handle the situation? Did you, for example, know people like Jacob Zuma or Chris Arne personally? How did they, how were they in these situations? How did they handle themselves? Well, uh, Jacob Zuma was in prison. We started in, I think when they tried to, I believe, leave the country, um, I don't know when. Zuma was not in the first lot of people. So he spent some 10 years in prison, I think, uh, and only came out in the 70s. Chris Hani and I were in the same um, group in Moscow. We were in two groups, but uh, we, we didn't know. Uh, uh, the Russians were very good with security. And so although they were training two South African groups, they were supposed to keep us apart. And we didn't quite know uh, that we were all uh, in Moscow. But when we, we finished around the same time, Chris's group and my group, and we traveled to this Congo that I was talking about, uh, we arrived around the same time. Chris um, was uh, in the military structure in Congo, a temporary one, uh, as a political commissar. Uh, but really, these were things to keep us going uh, because no one really uh, was expecting that we'd be there for long. So this uh, wonky thing that I'm talking about, Chris was one of the uh, strongest advocates. Uh, what I can say about him is that if he could help it, he wasn't going to spend one day outside South Africa if there was a way in which he would go to South Africa. He was always very determined and, um, and very courageous. Uh, you see, I talked about that uh, crossing of the uh, Zambezi River um, and said it was mission impossible. What made it possible was a high level of morale. Uh, Chris was one of the um, strongest influences. If, if, if we were to go home, and Chris was one of the people who said, we must go, and he was there, he put his uh, foot where his mouth was. It really, I mean, morale was extremely, extremely high. Uh, among the people, but the, the preparations were not good. Um, I was saying to you that we were reacting because people started deserting Congo because they were not going home, having been there for two years and three, people just thought there are other things that we can do in the meantime. So they crossed the border to Kenya um, and others uh, asked for scholarships, uh, but not many got scholarships at that point. Uh, so, but you also had a lot of pressure from uh, the, what was called the OEU, Organization of African Unity. It changed its name to, uh, to African uh, Unity. There you now, yeah. <clears throat> that guys, you've been here since uh, 1964. And what's happening? When are you starting to fight at home? I think quite frankly, the truth be told, it was in reaction to that kind of pressure to do something uh, that the campaign that ended up being called the Wonky Campaign was planned. Um, 
there would have been nothing wrong really with using the territory strategically in this and politically in the sense that Zapu, the Zimbabwe African People's Union and us uh, had been really allies anyway, politically. I, I think I need to say also that uh, in each of the unliberated countries, there happens always to have been two liberation movements. In South Africa, you had the ANC and the Pan-Africanist Congress. In Zimbabwe, you had the ZAPU, and then you had ZANU, Zimbabwe African National Union, under Sitole, and then later Mugabe. Mozambique had Frelimo, and it had something called Ubinamo. So the point of, what, of this is that ZAPU, ANC, Frelimo, the MPLA, SWAPO, and up in West Africa, the PIGC uh, considered themselves authentic liberation movements from their respective countries. And we always worked together uh, uh, in presenting our cases for support, material support, mainly from, from the OAU. So we're really strong allies. And you must mark that and I said. And Inkata would not be considered a liberation force because oh, they no, pursued no. I mean, nonviolence. They, no, they never, they never came out of South Africa. Um, uh, they, did they even exist at the time? No, they, they, they were not. So the, the, the liberation movements who took up arms and went to exile because, see, one thing also that needs to be known about these countries and in particular South Africa is that uh, if you were going to fight a, a war, so engage in armed struggle, guerrilla, or uh, you, you, you would not be able, you would need to go and receive your training abroad because the army did not um, recruit black people. And so, unlike other countries where, like Algeria, there was an, an army there in Morocco and Egypt, I mean, yeah, Egypt didn't recruit. You already had people in the army, so there, there was really no pressing need to train people externally. That's why a lot of trained people had to go to exile to receive their training in case of South Africa. But uh, so I was saying that uh, the, the, the campaign that ended the 1967 campaign, which ended up being called the Wonky Campaign. Wonky Campaign because this is where the enemy, the Rhodesians, detected the presence of our people. And, uh, and, and fighting started. They started pursuing them and there were ambushes, uh, there were skirmishes, there was fighting, people died. But um, fortunately, just don't have to take it to was saying about jail. There's a new kind of guerrilla who was coming. So that's because once the Rhodesians found out we were in, in, in the country, I mean, then from the air and road and all over the people, and they retreated our people did uh, into Botswana strategically because there 
they, they hoped that they would be arrested uh, and they were not going to fight uh, the Botswana. Botswana was a member of the AU, which supported the liberation struggle. And um, so, and it, and so it happened. In fact, uh, Chris, since we talk about him, was one of the people who had retreated from uh, the battlefield in uh, Western Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, into Botswana, and um, they surrendered there and uh, spent about uh, two and a half years in prison, Botswana. And when they finished their term, the Zambian president, Zambian government uh, offered to take them back. South Africans, the apartheid people wanted to say, these are our terrorists, we need them here. But Botswana um, uh, agreed to repatriate them to uh, Zambia. So uh, after the lessons of uh, what I would call uh, the, the wonky campaign, we made much better preparations and went to the eastern part of uh, Zimbabwe, uh, northeast for Zimbabwe, to look for opportunities of getting people in there. I mean, for three full months, um, we were in uh, Rhodesia without the authorities being aware of our presence. Um, Eventually, uh, we know how to tell the story. They did discover that we were there and fighting broke out. And uh, I have to tell you, for the sake of uh, the correctness of history, our people fought well, but nothing, morale was not as high as it was in the Wonka campaign. Suffered quite a few casualties. Um, so those, the number of people who were caught there when sentenced uh, in uh, what's happening now, solely, uh, sentenced to death, some of them, and um, mostly that, yes. And, and, and they were, I think in time, their sentences, the sentences were commuted to life. And I understand that this happened because uh, in terms of the law in uh, Rhodesia, you could not kill more than so many people, execute more than so many people per annum. So um, in time, some of the sentences were committed to life. And uh, when freedom came in 1980, uh, thanks to Zanu in particular, they won, and Mugabe was the president too. The people were released from uh, prison and um, went back to uh, join the ANC uh, in, Zimbabwe, in, in, in uh, Tanzania and Zambia. So that, that, that was the story around the, my involvement uh, in, um, in the early encounters with the, with the, with the enemy. Uh, <clears throat> we reorganized, morale was, uh, took a dive, you know, uh, tried in two places. We had, um, I think people had accounted themselves very well, but uh, we remained where we were. We really didn't make much of a dent in terms of coming back to South Africa. Uh, it was a time to reorganize. There were some 
some unhappiness about the state of politics uh, in uh, in exile. You know, there were two two groups, the Umkondoesizwe, the armed group, whose focus was going into South Africa, and you had the the leadership, the political group, who were doing international work. And it didn't seem that there was a melding of the two uh, coordinated in such a way that what they did in the international um, uh, international solidarity work uh, would, would, would be linked to, would support the efforts that were being done in the military. So a lot of reorganization took place between 1968 uh, 69, and that resulted in the holding of a, a, a conference in Morogoro. It's one of the uh, calendar, major cal calendar events in the struggle, the Morogoro Conference of 1969. It's a conference that included all ANC people represented, uh, represented people from as well as people who came from uh, different nations, uh, the political uh, um, international um, group, you know, solidarity group, um, but also non-ANC people, patriots from South Africa were invited to this meeting. And it was, um, I think uh, it was a landmark meeting and it reorganized the ANC resulted in the formation of what was called the Revolutionary Council. The important thing about that is that uh, prior to banishment of the African National Congress in South Africa in 1960, apartheid had forced uh, along racial or ethnic lines. You had the African National Congress, working in African areas. You had the Colored People's Congress, South African Indian Congress, and there was a Congress of Democrats. So when the ANC was banned, <clears throat> um, the, not all the institutions, all, not all the other organizations were banned, but it became virtually very, very difficult for them to operate. So the question was how they, oh, sorry, the point I want to make is that you had people uh, of Indian background, uh, colored background. I hate these terminologies, you know, this terminology. But we had these people who were not ANC members because of the uh, democratic graphic arrangements that I was talking about in post. It was called the Group Areas Act, which uh, placed people in separate areas based, based on their uh, race. So, so you had people joining Mkondo from who were members of the Indian Congress, but not members of the African National Congress, members of the Colored People's Congress and not of the other. The, uh, the uh, attempts were made, efforts started to be made to regularize this kind of situation. The formation of the Revolutionary Council, which reported to the National Executive Committee of the ANC, uh, 
in that structure, you had people of all races who um, qualified to be in there. It took uh, another five, six years before uh, people of other races were admitted into the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress. Uh, it was a bit of a complex situation. One needed to be careful how you handled that because to suddenly become a member of a, a band organization when your own organization back in South Africa was that band just incriminated you for those uh, uh, people who uh, found themselves in that kind of situation. So um, there you had uh, people like Joe Slovo, um, Yusuf Dadu, Dr. Dadu, and Regis September, kind of without anybody saying you are representing the Indians and you that, but de facto you had those uh, leaders and they, they happened to be leaders of the other organizations that uh, were accepted into uh, the ANC in a very senior position, but also in a structure that uh, was involved in directing the war into South Africa. Isn't it also at Magoro that you adopted the People's War and reaffirmed yourself to the National Democratic Revolution? Yes, the Morogoro Conference is where uh, the rearrangement of uh, the operational organizational structure of the ANC took place. Um, uh, National Democratic Revolution, those those, those, uh, things that... uh, I think that's that's a concept that actually comes from uh, socialists, communists, you know, in their analysis of uh, the political development of society. They, they, they have political organizations starting at a feudal state uh, to a capitalist state to a society becoming socialist, but um, before it became uh, communist. But, you know, the transition from capitalist to communism uh, or even to socialism uh, would take time, it was recognized. And there was a period when uh, you would be in a national democratic revolution. so So, yes, uh, we used that uh, to decide to describe the state in which the African National Congress was uh, as as it came back to South Africa. It wasn't a socialist party or organization, definitely not, Uh, but it was fighting against capitalism. Not everybody necessarily wanting to be socialist as was the case in, um, in 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 the Eastern Bloc, you know, the, you had the Russia, the Ukraine, the Soviet Union at the time, together, and um, fifteen states which belonged to this thing. But they, they were uh, the West called them communist states, but they regarded themselves as socialist states because the communist state only be attained once certain conditions were reached.
And okay, Mamusu, I'd, I'd like to speak about um, your current position where you've called for President Ramaphosa to resign. Um, why, why, do you, why have you called for President Ramaphosa to step aside? Uh, it's um, it's the you know that this uh, came about uh, as a result of uh, the revelations that were made by Arthur Fraser, who went to the police station to went to the police, uh, the of the police, they went to a pol the, the police to charge President Ramaphosa uh, with corruption and money laundering, things like that. Uh, so that, that's something that had happened two years earlier. And uh, clearly Arthur Fraser, who had some uh, grievance against the president, did that primarily to, to get even with him. But it, it, it was quite um, a dramatic, a sensational kind of uh, the disclosures of monies in mattresses, uh, monies being stolen, and uh, of all those things that were taking place in the country. Uh, it, 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 it really had the potential of, of being a scandal. And the president reacted to that in a manner that did not help the situation because um, while he did not accept the story of um, Arthur Fraser in total, he did concede that uh, there was money that was stolen um, and that it was quite a bit of cash and he said it had uh, the money had been realized from the sale of uh, game and uh, spatial uh, domestic animals, the Ancole breed, you know, and so on. So uh, when the media asked the president um, to tell them a little more about this thing that he was admitting had taken place on his farm, Kalapala, uh, he was. Uh, reticent. He, he said, listen, it's likely this man is is uh, gone to the police station and we should allow the law to take its course. Uh, and I will not say anymore. Um, you know, all too often it's been happening that when people don't really want to disclose, they cite the subjudicate thing. I I, 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 like many other comrades, were very worried that uh, this is likely to explode in the hands of the president and it was going to be extremely detrimental to the African National Congress. The president of the Republic needed to tell the public what actually happened a little more than he had been willing to concede. Not disclosing and saying he's waiting for legal processes to 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 be finished. No, no, no one knows how long they haven't even started. By the way, and he has not been charged. He may not be charged. But uh, how long would the nation the nation wait before it understood clearly 
what took place there because what was being alleged sounded very alarming, sounded very criminal to say the least. But the, the, I, I thought that it's important for the president to really open up, take the nation, as they say, into his confidence and say, listen, this is what happened. Nothing to worry about, uh, but uh, I'll, let's, let's get, uh, the matter will be resolved in the courts. But essentially, um, yes, there was money, since he had already said there was money. Uh, it got to be there because of ABC, uh, and there were, et cetera, et cetera. You see, I, I think the problem was that not saying how the money got to be there when you had admitted that it was there, not clarifying whether there was any hard currency um, when this person alleged that uh, there was, um, which just leaves too many questions and would uh, lead to the kind of uh, suspicions and attacks that. Uh, happening at the moment. It was on that basis that I said the president really, if he's not able to say what happened, if he's not willing to take uh, the public into his confidence for an indefinite period of time, mm. then perhaps he should step aside, allow this investigation that is being talked about to take place and continue uh, and when that is finished, um, and hopefully if it cleared him of any wrongdoing, he would uh, be able to resume his position. And so I, that, that I, I saw the interview you did on Biz News, and you mentioned the idea of a caretaker president. W would you see as the perfect candidate to be the caretaker president while the investigation is ongoing? Well, the decision um, really would, would depend very much on the ANC. He is the ANC president. Um, if they were to go that route, when a president either resigns, whether it's for a short term, uh, which doesn't happen often, um, I think the arrangements constitutionally may be that his deputy uh, would, take play, would, would take charge. But you know, given the current state of the ANC, number of uh, colleagues thought it would be good for the country not to have a president who is settled with this palapala thing uh, at a time when things, everything just seemed to be going wrong, petrol prices going up, uh, food prices going up, crime shooting up, people being killed here, there and everywhere. Um, that's gone not working, you know. That requires the attention of the president, 100% of his attention, more if he could do that. But to be, have to be uh, trying to answer uh, allegations or unable to answer uh, allegations about what happened to Palafala would just uh, compromise his ability to discharge his responsibilities as the president of the country. So if he agreed to step down and the African National Congress leadership 
accepted that it would be a good thing for the party and for the um, country, then it would be arranged that uh, um, that a, a person who enjoyed the respect of the party in the first instance and of the public, because uh, they were not tarnished in any way, should be um, perhaps given the assignment of uh, running the affairs of the ANC and the state, but particularly to me, of the state, uh, until such time as the Palafala thing was resolved. Uh, it's, it's not something, th th this would be done by people who appreciated that there would be an advantage to the state um, if that were to be done. And there's really no doubt that uh, a person who was not in any way affected by a scandal and who had the blessing of the party, if they were given and, and if parliament uh, cleared that uh, candidature, candidature then uh, the country would continue until this matter of Palapala was resolved or until the next elections uh, uh, in 2024. Um, and then, the, by the way, the ANC people would continue with their conference in December. They would elect uh, the leadership, the top six, the national executive, uh, and, and they would do all of that. And whoever was appointed uh, or elected president would in due course take over the responsibility certainly of the ANC and uh, if uh, the ANC still had, if it was before 2024 and of the state once they were sworn into power. And um, Mabuso, do, do you agree with the former president Thabo Mbeki? Um, we just made a speech at JC Duarte's funeral or a eulogy um, we said that if things don't change, if the ANC doesn't take leadership or action, we will see an Arab Spring in South Africa. Do you agree with the former president? You know, there is absolutely no doubt that our situation, the, the nation is facing a crisis. I mean, a short while ago, I was referring to the outages or what we call it downloading, which affects people very directly, extremely negatively in their private capacity as, as uh, consumers of electricity, the domestic use and so on. Uh, and even more so uh, in just uh, uh, putting some gridlock uh, into the economy. Uh, you know, that has taken its harsh toll. Uh, the, the, the lack of uh, power of energy affects um, the, the economy. The government over two thirds of them who are not uh, in employment. Um, otherwise, it's at 35, I think. The cost of food is intolerable. I mean, it's, it's food is just not affordable. Transport becomes very expensive because of the petrol price, but also because uh, those who, the public that would use trains, doesn't have sufficient access to trains because uh, the railway sleepers and, and other things have been stolen. 
So it's really a, a very difficult time for the people. I don't know, I'm not good at predicting what might happen and so on, but uh, it wouldn't be surprising at all. I mean, you're getting shooting uh, for reasons that are not explained, and the police are taking time, if they do even succeed, uh, to um, arrest the, the culprit. So there is really a state that is very close to lawlessness in conditions of in such conditions, I think anything can be expected. So I think Tabun Begi was right. I don't think he was dramatizing it. And all this is happening while the African National Congress leadership seems to be really deeply mired in uh, factional internal disputes, uh, which is not assisting the management of the country at all. And do you think one of the reasons why we're at this current point is because of the policy of cater deployment? Well, it's many reasons. Corruption has contributed tremendously to this thing. Well, the Ukraine situation of late has been a factor. Um, uh, the, 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 the petrol price, I mean, I know it's not determined here, uh, but it, it affects people here. It certainly is a factor in the crisis, but there's no doubt about the fact that uh, the, 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 the crisis, the, the corruption in the country, which affects people in the leadership of the ANC, uh, has been, uh, has contributed a great deal to the state of uh, uh, uncertainty uh, to this crisis, current crisis. Why do you think of the idea of a truth and reconciliation commission for the people that have been implicated in corruption? I really don't know. That would be an option only and only if the state was unable to carry out its task. What I would expect right now is that with the Zondo Commission having made its recommendations with the institutions, um, criminal justice uh, system strengthened, um, it is important not just to punish the people involved in these things, but so that people know that uh, when you do these kinds of things, you don't get truth and reconciliation commissions taking place all the time. It's a, it, it would be a, a very effective deterrent, but also really not only should people who have been involved in reducing the state to this, uh, to this condition, not, not only should they be arrested, the, the, the most important thing is to recover as much of the money that was taken as possible. What will not be recovered quickly is the restoration of the functioning of the institutions that have been destroyed. Uh, I mean, Parastatals, you know, state-owned agencies. We all know what's happened to um, the leadership of ESCOM, Transnet, of PRASA, you know, Petro SA, SAA, even the South African Broadcasting Corporation. They've been affected by the management of uh, the politics and the economy by the ANC. But 
by the infiltration. State capture actually defined means, you know, getting vested uh, nefarious interests, uh, worming them into the state uh, structures and getting them to carry out uh, their own uh, objectives, uh, corrupt objectives. We, we, we have been captured and uh, that can't be a small matter. That has contributed a lot to the high level of unemployment. Um, yes, COVID also, I mean, not looking for excuses of things, the fact of the matter is that yes, COVID and the lockdowns also affected the economy very, very big time. But uh, as somebody has pointed out, countries in a comparable development situation to South Africa have not been as hard hit as ourselves in terms of levels of unemployment and uh, the ability to recover from the effects uh, of uh, lockdowns. Mavusa, what's very interesting to me is many people like Rob Ayersoff and Herman Mashaba have said that if Nelson Mandela were alive today, he would vote for the Democratic Alliance. But I think many people underestimate the influence of ideology and politics. And I, I don't see myself, I don't see a person like Nelson Mandela voting for a party that supports, that's a liberal party. What do you think is the chances of a person like Nelson Mandela uh, voting mean, for it's, a... It's... It's such a hypothetical case. Anyway, we shouldn't spend too much on that. We can't test it. But I can tell you, there is just no way. First of all, the situation, if the good leadership of the past was still around, situation would not have deteriorated to the state. So the question of them voting for something that they would have allowed to get to the state, you know. Uh, uh, no, they, 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 the, the DA was not able to understand that 1994 happened and that this country needs, in, in terms of democratic leadership, demographically, you really need to see more and more uh, black people, black in its widest sense, uh, in leadership positions. And also a recognition that uh, apartheid actually uh, and kept people out of the economy. Uh, a lot of the people who were not white were just kept out of the economy. The, 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 yes, it, it, it's true that the affirmative action or the BE has taken place. Um, I'll be the first one to uh, admit that it, it has been uh, uh, fairly badly managed. And uh, in fact, it's just left uh, bad taste in everybody's mind. But there is no way ever, it's, it's an insult to Mandela, to Sulu, Tambo, and many others whose names we don't know, who died for the liberation of this country, who would be very, very upset. I think they would roll their sleeves and get the ANC to function. They wouldn't run to the DA or any other organization, absolutely not. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Mavuso, uh, my last question. You were the CEO of the South African National Parks. What is your opinion of the current state of a park like the Kruger National Park? Because it seems like it's become quite dilapidated. It's, it's gone quite backwards. What is your opinion of 
the situation in a place like the Kruger National Park? Well, I didn't really think it had gone that bad. Um, I think the public service has been affected by these things that we're talking about. Um, the South uh, Sun Parks, South African National Parks, has recently suffered. The, um, I mean, its its CEO uh, has, for almost the best part of the the last 12 months been involved in, in cases. He's been under, in suspen, under suspension. So. And so it affects the performance of women. I think they are soldiering on, to be honest with you, under difficult conditions. Um, uh, there are many institutions which suffered a lot more uh, from uh, COVID, from corruption and so on much, much more, in my opinion, than Sun Parks. I, I, I think they're trying their best, and uh, it's difficult. And you must know that parks rely also on tourism, and uh, tourism was very much stifled, just made rendered almost um, inoperable um, as a result of uh, COVID and other things. I, I have faith, to be honest with you, in the in some parts, I think uh, they'll pull through. Well, Mavusa, thank you so much. I see our time has run out. Uh, thank you for honoring the show with your presence. I want to give you one last opportunity if you want to say something or answer a question that you'd hope I'd ask you. Um. If you were to ask me, oof, a lot of these things, first of all, I'm, I'm busy wiping tears. I hope some of that can be clipped out <laughs> where, where you can. Uh, I think a lot of people ask me what I think will happen to the African National Congress. Is it going to um, survive uh, going forward? And and my answer, my honest answer, is that it's going to be very, very difficult for the African National Congress to come back to its uh, former glory. Certainly not in the short term. I agree with many people that uh, based on its current performance, it's highly, highly unlikely to get an outright majority in the national elections in 2024. Um, it's, this is going to result in a state of coalitions in South Africa. Those are not easy to run, uh, and they require a lot of maturity by the participants in coalitions, but also the participants in the coalitions ought themselves to be people of uh, integrity who are very clear about um, commitment to the uh, welfare of the people. I mean, we have the most unequal uh, country on earth. We have um, more than 50%, I think it's about 50% of our population living below uh, officially 
poverty levels are poor. Uh, it, it's an untenable situation. How do coalition people uh, deal with these things? The tendency right now is for organizations, parties to, to form themselves around, unfortunately in some cases, ethnic issues. The Western Cape has been wanting to leave uh, this country. <laughs> um, uh, but you also have people who feel that uh, what are called colored people are not um, getting the right, they are not white enough in the past, they are not black enough now. All these things <clears throat> are not really contributing very much to the uh, very cardinal principle that is an, a non-racial South Africa. It, it's, not, it's not a dream. In fact, we will be strongest when we cease to be, to be looking at uh, uh, each other as, as Indians or, or whatever. There, there are serious problems of development. Uh, some of the, our constitution really gives us the opportunity to move forward. There are strengths from each of the groups that constitute uh, South Africa. And unless those are optimized, unless those are brought together to produce a good South Africa, then, uh, and, and I'm not sure that uh, the future governments of the, the ANC are quite prepared for that. They'll learn along the way and maybe we'll find a way, but that will not be before things have gotten worse. Well, thank you, Mavuso. Um, yeah, I, I love that message, and I think a lot of our viewers will love that message. Uh, to our viewers, if you've made it this far, you most certainly enjoy this content. Please like this video, share it as widely as possible to spread that message, and subscribe to our channel. My name is Donald, and you've been watching Worldview. Mm -hmm.